well, happy Mother's Day. That was, that was weird. Happy Mother's Day. Man, I want to thank uh, my daughter, her and uh, Tyler got in late Thursday from California. And uh, I, I was asking her about songs. She said, well, Dad, I wrote a song. And I said, send it to me. And so that song you just heard was Kennedy, a Kennedy Richardson original. So, hey, uh, man, I know we got a lot of mothers uh, here today that don't usually come. We've got some uh, of our people that are going to see their moms. But if you're new here for your first time, man, thank you. Thank you for coming out. Welcome. Welcome. And... Uh, if you're wondering, yes, I'm the pastor here of the church, uh, so some people don't uh, think that, but hey, listen, next week, you do not want to miss it. Uh, our pastor Casey, my brother, will be, will be uh, bringing part four of this series, Questions, with a message called Assembly Required. So you do not want to miss that. It's going to be an incredible day. Hey, uh, well, let, let's start out with some motherhood facts. Uh, I, I'm not a mother, nor do I claim to be one, uh, but here's some things I've been told. Motherhood, because going to the pr uh, bathroom in private is overrated. <laughs> Mothers of teens understand why some animals eat their young. <laughs> and I know this next one's true because I do it with my mom and I know it with my wife. There are, moms can make Two, uh, they're best at cooking two different types of pasta. Not enough and enough for an entire army. That's the two different kinds they can make. Uh, here's a mom's recipe, which Sheridan will be able to, her being a barista, uh, for making iced coffee. One, have kids. Two, make coffee. Three, forget you made coffee. Four, drink that cold coffee. And my favorite... A toddler can do more in one unsupervised minute than most people can do in a day. So, <laughs> hey, uh, I, I want some things. My mom taught me some things growing up. Anybody else? Now, if you're, I'm going to read you some things my mom taught me before we get in the message. Now, this is maybe, you may not understand some of these if you're not from the South, because uh, I think we were raised a little bit different here in the South, but... Here, my, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. Because she would say, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just cleaned the house. <laughs> she taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. <laughs> she taught me logic. Because I said so, that's why. She taught me to think ahead. Make sure you wear clean underwear wear just in case you're in an accident. Come on now. She taught me irony. Keep crying and I'm going to give you something to cry about. She taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I could take you out of it. She, she taught me about pre-appreciation of things. There are thousands of kids in this world that would love a mother like me. So she taught me about anticipation. Just wait till your dad gets home. And she taught me more logic. 
If you break your legs doing that, don't come running to me. (laughs) And the final thing she taught me was about justice. Justice. Where she said, one day, you're going to have kids. And I hope they turn out just like you. (laughs) I may get more amens and applause out of that than I do the rest of the message. A little Mother's Day humor. Uh, Anybody ready for week three of their series, Questions? We've been looking at questions that people ask. People, uh, because for far too long, I've said this every week, but far too long, the church has been trying to answer questions that nobody's asking. And I think it's about time we start wrestling with questions that people actually wrestle with. Week one, why would God allow suffering? Last week, uh, what did we talk about last week? Anybody, because I cannot even remember myself. And I preached it. But it was great. Huh? Huh? Why isn't God fair? Or God isn't fair. That's right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Now I feel better about the rest of this message. (laughs) Hey, uh, but does anybody remember uh, in the 90s, not 90s, in the 90s, this fad come out with these bracelets, WWJD. What did did those letters stand for? What would Jesus do? They were actually, the, the, the whole thing was actually created by this youth pastor in Michigan in her youth group to give just her youth group. And then it caught on like wildfire. Kendi's hoping I'll say that woman's name because she laughed so hard. The first, uh, Jan, Janie Tinklenburg. Tinklenburg. And yes, I can make several jokes there, but I'm not going to because we have guests with us today. Um, But it's made to remind you, hey, before you say or do that, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Before that person that just cut you off, and before you tell them they're number one, what would Jesus do? Hallelujah, Donna, thank you. Donna, listen, many of you both know you don't always do what Jesus would do. So no, no, I'm joking. No, no. What would Jesus do? Today, I want to take it from another angle and ask this question. What would Jesus undo? Because I think there are a lot of things, especially when it comes to the church, that he would undo. I I think there are a lot of things uh, that, that he would undo. One of the biggest things I think he would undo, if you're taking notes today, I think he'd undo religion. Religion. I did a search online just typing in religion. Here are some comments and questions that came up. Why can't I get myself to believe in religion? I like the idea of it, but I can't seem to actually believe in it. Another one said, is religion a way of life? Why or why not? And this last one, I'm seeing it more and more today. Now that I'm older, I've realized that I don't agree with religion and I don't believe in it anymore. See, here's my opinion. When we talk about religion, God and Jesus, people say, well, they're just not into God or or Jesus. I don't think it's not that people aren't into God or Jesus. I just think the God and Jesus that we've presented to the world has given people a bad taste in their mouth. And what part of Watts Bar Community Church, part of our mission 
We've, it's not in our statement, but we need to make it in there, is this. We're not just here to present Jesus to people, but to a lot of people, especially in this era, area, we need to re-present Jesus. They need, we need to show them who Jesus really is and, and what he's really about. Religion, you, you know this, it, it's the only thing that Jesus, when he was walking this earth, really went after. He hated religion. I mean, he had the religious system that was set in place when Jesus came on the scene, it was all about works. It was, it was all about you making yourself holy, you making yourself presentable to, to God. And there was one time when the Pharisees, they noticed that Jesus' disciples weren't following their traditions. They, weren't, they saw them eating without washing their hands. And this really bothered the Pharisees. And so they go to Jesus, and they ask Jesus this question in Mark 7, verse 5. The Pharisees and teachers of the law ask Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Meaning they didn't wash their hands before they ate. Jesus pretty much calls them hypocrites. And then three verses down in verses 8 and 9, he says this. You abandoned God's commandments just to keep men's rituals, such as ceremonially washing utensils, cups, and other things. Then he added, how skillful you become in rejecting God's law in order to maintain your man-made set of rules. God had given them the law, but somewhere along the line, they began to add things to it. From their likes, their dislikes, their opinions. Well, no, this is what, that, this is what God said. And they were, t- they were making up rules that God never put out there. We, we still do it today. When I was growing up, we wrote songs about it. Here's my favorite. Now, if you know it, feel free to sing along. So, if your hair's too long, you got sin in your heart, get it cut today. And make a new start. You'll live a life of fear and dread with that tangled mess up on your head. If your hair's too long, there's sin in your heart. Now, I, we will laugh at that. And granted, it was written just out of fun. But there were people when I was growing up, that was the gospel. Somebody, you sing that, somebody's running the aisle. I, I mean, Bob, Bob, Bobby pins from a woman's head are going to go flying in eight different directions. You sing that. Because, buddy, they bought into it. it uh, we, we grew up with this motto. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. <laughs> now, I realize it's hard for some of y'all to believe. There was a day when women chewed. The good ones, anyway. Anyway, let's move. Let's move. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I didn't say that in the first service. It's cracking me up, baby. My granny actually did, had snuff. My great granny. Come on, y'all remember that. But anyway, I, I remember that me and Denise and I had, had pastored here for about a year. Uh, at, you know, my mom would come up here after my, mom, my dad had passed away, and when we came back home, we'd been here about a year. And we had a, a new couple that was coming. He wore a hat every week to church. Was faith, faith was new to him, all brand new to him. We had a guy that maybe showed up. You know, he was that two-time-a-year, Christmas or Easter, 
and maybe another day. And he came in. Now, keep in mind, this guy wore a do-rag. He rode a bicycle, so he'd come in here with his do-rag on. And, and someone come to me. And t- now, I was gone. I'd already left, thank goodness, before this happened. But he went up to this young man, slapped the guy's baseball hat off of him, and said, we don't wear hats in the house of God. I, I, yeah, I could have gone. Thank God, like I said, I was gone. I, I called the young man, said, listen, I heard what happened. Let me let you know we're not about that here. Because here's the thing, guys. I would rather someone be in the house of God with a hat on than outside this place because they don't feel welcome. I, I would, we, this is nothing because we have people. Because, listen, we know who we are called to. We know, and, and we, 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 we would have, I, I say would have, we, we, we still do. People that would smoke outside before they come in. And oh man, when we first started past, oh, Pastor Kelly, Denise, y'all got to do something about that. Listen, I would rather have them stand outside, smoke their cigarettes, then come in this house, than them feel like they can't walk in here because of something they were doing outside. It doesn't make any difference just because you choose to live your, leave your dip, your tobacco, your porn magazines in the car before you walk in here. Boy, if you're new here, you're getting a lot of it today. But we are bad about setting up standards and man-made rules and claiming they're from God when God had nothing to say about it. Now, now let, let me make this clear. If it says it in the Bible, I don't care if it's popular opinion. I don't care if it rubs you the wrong way. If it says it in the Bible, that's what I believe. That's what this church believes. That's what we're going by. But here's the thing. The church was never meant to be a courtroom where we throw down the gavel. It was meant to be a hospital. See, what gets me when people say, man, I I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. That's like saying I don't go to the hospital because of all the sick people. That's what it's like saying. Because I come to church because I need to change. There are things in me that need to be made better. I need a closer walk with God. So, so I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I want to look at another passage today. It's found in Luke 7. If you want to turn there. Uh, if not, it's going to be up here on the screens. Um, this is a story that some of you may be familiar with. If you're not, man, I love people that these stories are all new to. I, I love it. Because they're just like, wow, I can't believe that. But Jesus was 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And and he doesn't go uh, by the theory of, hey, let's turn things around slowly. Jesus comes on the scene, guns blazing. And he begins to go at religion and turn it upside down. When Jesus came on the scene, see, the Pharisees and religious leaders, they were well-versed in knowing what the Messiah they were looking for, where he's going to come from, how he would come. He was going to be born in the lineage of of King David. He was going to be born a virgin. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus lined up with all the prophecies that had been given about the Messiah. But what really confused them and threw them off about Jesus was Jesus didn't talk like they thought the Messiah should talk. Here's another big one. 
Jesus didn't save them like they thought the Messiah coming would save them. They were looking for what a lot of people are looking for today. A political savior. Someone that would come on the scene, set things right in the world. Someone who would stop the tyranny of the Roman Empire. They were looking. See, for some reason, we think if our political party doesn't get voted in, that God has lost control. Let me tell you something. God didn't come to choose sides. He came to take over. And he's not going to be riding in on a donkey or an elephant. Let's go on. But they came, they were looking for someone that would set up kingdom and begin and set the people free, set them free. But Jesus shows up and says, hey, my kingdom's not of this world. And Jesus began to say things, teach things that the Pharisees didn't like. He begins to heal people on the Sabbath day. He's not requiring his disciples to follow certain tradition. And they see what Jesus is doing. And they see he's becoming more and more popular. So they kind of go from that old saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So they invite him to a dinner party. They invite him. And Jesus, this elite Pharisee, Simon... Invites Jesus over for dinner. Jesus takes him up on his offer. So you've got Jesus, this Simon the Pharisee, and the other religious leaders. And then something really strange happens. Luke 7, starting with verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived what kind of life? Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. Kissed them and poured perfume on them. I want you to get the picture of what's going on here. Jesus is sitting at this Pharisee's house. At this dinner table or on the ground, this desperate woman comes bursting through the door of this well-known, this elite Pharisee's home. Somehow, she finds out Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. I wonder how she found out. Could it be that word had gotten out that, hey, there's this rabbi, this man named Jesus, that doesn't look at us the way the religious people are looking at us? Anyway, she finds herself there, and she, she doesn't knock on the door, doesn't call ahead. She comes bursting through the door, finds Jesus. Here's, here's something you need to realize. This, the woman, she got, when she comes bursting through the door, she got the attention of the Pharisees. But it was her desperation and worship that grabbed the attention of Jesus. What's bar, man? One of the things that I've really been praying for, for you, for this body, is that we would get a desperation about us for God like never before. That we would quit settling for coming to church on Sundays, every once in a while on Wednesdays, but know that we would get so desperate that when we come in here, listen, we we don't care how long the service is. We don't care if they're singing our favorite worship song. We don't care what somebody's gonna say or think about us. Our main number one priority is getting at the feet of Jesus. That's what I want about it for for us here. I'm gonna be very honest with you. If you're visiting, listen, take a break because this is not geared towards you. 
If you call, there are days that Pastor Bob, Sundays we come in here, Pastor Bob and this team, it's like pulling teeth to get people to worship. He's up here having to cheerlead to try to pull people into worship. What would happen if he didn't have to say a word? We just came in here and we were so desperate for God. We didn't even take our seat where we normally sit. We come up here waiting for that countdown to be over so that we can just get at the feet of Jesus. What would, what would happen if, if we were so desperate for the presence of God like that in our marriages, in, in our homes, in our neighborhoods? What would happen? Would that change the atmosphere? Absolutely. Absolutely. The second thing I believe Jesus would undo, I know he would, shame. Shame. Here's Jesus at this dinner party with this Pharisee. And then comes what the Bible, remember what the Bible called her, what kind of woman? A sinful woman. And this sinful woman begins to worship. Anybody think that even before she walked through those doors, that the enemy was whispering into her and giving her every reason she should not walk through those doors? Anybody think that he began to remind her, hey, you know who you are. You know what you did last night. You know what, the, you, they know you. They know what kind of woman you are. Don't you dare. And you, you're going to go in there to this rabbi? Don't, don't even, you don't deserve to be in the presence of someone like that. Don't you think that when she did come in, she heard the gasps of the Pharisees like, she heard them. One of the enemy's most powerful weapons he used then, he still uses today, is shame. And he he used it to try to shame us into not approaching Jesus. He used it to try to shame us into not worshiping. He'll, he'll, some of you, he's been whispering it to you today before you ever walk through the doors. He's been whispering it to you through worship. Look at you. You're still struggling with that. Look at you. Why are you lifting your hands? You know what you were doing last night. And he begins to whisper these things. Re- remember how you talked to your wife? Remember how you talked to your husband? Oh, remember on the way here, you got angry and yelled at your kids. And he begins to remind us of things we did and try to bring shame to keep us from being at the feet of Jesus. Jesus would undo shame. Here's one thing you need to know, and this is in your notes. Don't allow shame to keep you from pursuing a relationship with Jesus. Don't. This woman, you don't, think, you don't think this woman knew her past? It was her past. She knew what others thought about her, yet she was so desperate for Jesus. He, I, I want you to think about what happened that day. She walked into a house filled with religious people, but walked out with a relationship with Jesus. Mm. What would Jesus undo? Shame. He would undo the shame that the enemy has heaped upon us. Well, what happens with this woman in this moment, with her and Jesus, it's the power of just one encounter with Jesus. One encounter. I mean, she comes in standing behind him weeping, but within seconds she is at his feet worshiping. Worshiping. That's the power of of Jesus undoing shame and religion on someone's life. 
Listen, you may have heard me say this before, but I will keep saying it. One of my favorite things about Watts Bar Community Church, I'll say it like, you know what a mosaic is? A mosaic piece of art. It's where they take uh, shattered pieces of glass, of pottery, uh, uh, of tile, of different things. Things that people would throw away usually. But you get a master artist and they can put those things that others would throw away, put them together, and it becomes a beautiful piece of art. That's what this church is to me. Fourth, no one in their right mind would have ever said Kelly Goins is going to be a pastor of Watts Bar Church. Nobody, amen, that's not a good place, amen. That's our resident Jew back there. Oh, Mariah, she's still trying to crucify the man of God. So let's, (laughs) come on now. (laughs) I love Mariah, but she's on drugs today. So, from surgery, from surgery, so, so. So see, see, see. But I'm serious. When I look around, there's no way anybody would have said, Casey, my brother, after struggling with 20-year opioid addiction, he's never going to be a pastor. He's never going to amount to anything. No one would say, and I know they get tired of hearing these stories, but I I love telling them that that a woman that was an atheist for 25-plus years, and now as a creative director of our church, that someone that, that will struggle with alcohol for 20 years and be clean, I'm telling you, no one would pick these people, but God did. I'm telling you guys, our stories may be different, but it's the same Jesus. Our testimonies may be different, but it's the same Jesus. I told him, and I, I'm not going to embarrass him, but I told a young man yesterday, me and him were having breakfast, and he was saying, I just don't, I, I just don't want to talk about my story, about my life. I don't really see a need for it to get. I said, no, you need to understand what you were and what God has done for you today. There's somebody that needs to hear that story because they're walking through it saying, I'm stuck in this life forever. I'm going to be dealing drugs or addicted to drugs forever. But they need to hear that God redeemed you and he can do it for them. Mm. I almost called him out. Daniel, you better be glad the Lord's dealing with me. <laughs> But that's what makes this church who we are. We're not a bunch of people that act like we're perfect. Like we got it all together. We know we need a Savior. We know that without Jesus, we are nothing. This, let's go. This woman barges into this home. She falls at Jesus' feet, begins to worship. Look what the religious leaders do. Verse 39. When the Pharisees who had, Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Now get this, he doesn't say this directly to Jesus. But I, I need you to hear me really close, Wasabar Church. You need to understand, Jesus takes attacks on his children very personal. Very personal. 
And, I'm, and you need to think about that before you go on your Facebook page but because you saw a ministry or a minister fall or fail and you want to put in your two cents about them. Let me tell you, me and Kenny were talking about this a few weeks ago after the, uh, the big Hillsong thing. And she said, Dad, have you seen it? I said, no, and I'm not going to. I said, I see no reason. That, that will not benefit me in, in any way. But we were talking, she said, and she was telling me, I think it was Chris Valton that talked about Saul. Libby Gordon's talking about Saul. And she said, you remember when, when Saul was on the road to Damascus before he became Paul. And Jesus appeared in this bright light, knocked Saul off the donkey. And what was the question he asked Saul? Why are you persecuting me? Not Stephen. Now, why are you persecuting Stephen? Why would you have him killed? Why are you persecuting this family over here? Why are you persecuting my children? No, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes it very personal when we talk about his kids. Until you look at the life of David, David had every right to take Saul out. But he said, I will not touch one of God's anointed." I'm just telling you, man, you will never hear this pastor here talk about another ministry or another pastor or another church, period. Because I know God, we are not for everybody. I know that. We know who God has called us to. And I'm not about to say anything about another church that may be doing it different because they're reaching people that I can't. Let's, let's, let's get on. We got, I got to, I'm getting hungry and I got to take my wife to eat. She's hungry too. I can see it on her face. But Jesus takes what is said about this woman worshiping at his feet. He takes it very personal. And Jesus, how many know story time with Jesus is never good if you're on the receiving end of that story? When Jesus says, let me tell you a story. It's not going to end well for you. Not. Luke 7, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owe money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 in their eye and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. I'll say this. It was the only time in that scenario in that house that the Pharisees judged correctly. Jesus has just given this man a lesson on the difference between religion and relationship. And here's what he's saying. Religion judges. Relationship extends grace. Religion judges, but relationship, let, let me take it a step further. Religion accuses, but a relationship says it's covered. Amen. It's covered. Simon, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, all have this perception uh, about God. They think, man, we know God better than anybody else. Yet in that moment, they could not even recognize that the Son of God, the Messiah, was sitting with them. But let's be fair and look at this from Simon's viewpoint. I mean, you're sitting. At, let's say you have some friends over for dinner. Y'all are all sitting around the dinner table. You've got a guest of honor, somebody that you think highly of. You bring them in, 
And, and then this woman out of nowhere comes, comes busting through your front door, runs to your special guest, begins to cry, begins to fall at his feet, pouring perfume. What would you do? I mean, what would you do? Uh, it happens all the time around here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, you'd be like, what? What are you doing? So, somebody get her, get, get her out of here. That's the way we would react. Yet, this, this always bothered me. Simon nor the other Pharisees, none of them said one word to her. The Bible refers to this woman as sinful. And a lot of scholars say that was a polite way of saying she was a prostitute. Knowing that, let me ask you. What prostitute, knowing the punishment that could be dealt her, what prostitute would have the boldness to just barge into an elite Pharisee, a religious leader's home without being invited and nobody saying one word to her? Unless this wasn't the first time she'd been in that house. I mean, I don't have anything to back, it, back this up, but I just find it very interesting that Simon, the owner of the house, the other Pharisees and religious teachers, nobody had this one word to say to this sinful woman. I find it odd that she knew where the living room was, the dining room. See, here's the thing about religion. Religion wants to expose others' brokenness while it hides its own sin. Look at verse 44. Then he, Jesus, turned toward the woman. Where did he turn? Toward the woman and said to Simon. This is something we need to understand if you're taking notes. Jesus always turns toward the broken but corrects the religious. You said Jesus turned toward the woman, but he's talking to Simon back here. He's turning toward the brokenness of this woman, the desperation of this woman, but he's correcting the religious behind him. Look what Jesus says to Simon. Verse 44, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them dry with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. See, Simon was a religious leader. He knew the protocol for when a guest came to your house. He knew, he, especially a rabbi coming to your house, he knew the protocol. And by him not doing these things, that lets us know what Simon really felt about Jesus. Simon knew that he should have greeted Jesus with a kiss. Simon knew that he should have had either washed Jesus' feet or had one of his servants wash his feet. Simon knew that his feet then should have been, been, been uh, dried. 
And basically, Jesus looked at Simon and said, You know, know that you should have done all these things, but the only one to honor me is this broken, desperate woman in front of me. And all you do is sit there and silently judge her. Listen to me, church. When mom and dad started this church over 39 years ago, this church didn't grow then, it isn't grow now just from the spiritually elite. Are you hearing me? It didn't start that way. My mom and dad had never pastored a church, didn't go to school of theology, didn't do any of that stuff. But God has been bringing and is continuing to bring broken people into this house. God is bringing those with broken past. He's bringing those with background, broken backgrounds, the hurting, the lost, the lonely, the addicted, those that have lost their identity, those that are, are questioning their sex, sexuality. And he's bringing them into this. And we've got one or two options here. We can either sit back and silently judge them. Or we could find ourselves beside them, kneeling at the feet of Jesus in worship. It's not our job to judge them. I tell you that that day, this woman's life was not changed because of all the judging that the Pharisees was doing. Her life was changed radically. Because of the grace Jesus extended to her. Along with love and truth. Go and sin no more. This is why we've been placed in this community. Tell me there's power. When we just allow Jesus to love people through us. We've been placed here to tell people, come just as you are. To tell people that Jesus can restore broken lives, broken hearts, souls. He can restore marriages. He can set addicts free. We were not placed here for the spiritually elite. We were placed here for the spiritually broken. We were placed here for people like me. That knew I need a savior. I need God to do something in my life. I've been going at this life my own way and I have made a mess of it. And I need someone that can love me right where I am but not leave me there. I, can I, be, I hope we never forget where Jesus found us. I hope we never forget the, the, the pit that Jesus pulled us out of. Because it's easier to extend grace when we remember the grace that was extended to us. Tony, there are people that have walked that walk through those doors every Sunday. Some have walked in here today and watched Bar Church. What they don't need is somebody silently judging them, but they need someone to be the extension of God's heart to them. That's what they need. I didn't come to church, or I don't come to church because I got it all together. I come because I'm trying to get it all together. 
And can I tell you, the only way that is going to happen is not through religion, but through relationship with Jesus. Go ahead and stand with me across this room. This woman walks into this room, does not say a single word. Not one word. All she does is fall at the feet of Jesus and begins to worship him. No altar call given. None of that. She just falls at the feet of Jesus, begins to worship him. And look what happens. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And what did the religious do? They begin to question him. There's this guy that forgives sins. Because Jesus always turns toward the broken. This woman didn't have a, she wasn't able to say a word. That is the power of relationship. I mean, men and Denise have been married 30, just celebrated a 31st anniversary. Do you know this? Let me, this is the power of relationship. She can just look at me without saying a word, and I know what she's thinking. I'm up here and I'm getting ready to say something and she knows where I'm going and she don't have to say a word. That's the power of relationship. Are you hearing me? The power of relationship, there are things like me and Bob, uh, uh, Casey and Ben, we hang out a lot and, and we've got these inside jokes and we can say, one of us can say something and us four will start dying laughing and nobody else knows what's going on. You know what it is? The power of relationship. The power of relationship. Religion says, say this, do this, do that. But Jesus says, hey, come to me with a sincere heart. Just come to me with a heart of worship and I'll heal you. Come to me with a heart of worship and I'll take those if-only regrets and give you some what-if possibilities. Just come to me. Listen to me close this Mother's Day. Uh, This woman's worship did what her words could not do. Have you ever been to a place so broken you didn't have the words to say? You couldn't even say Jesus. Have you ever been to a place where you were so broken inside? You were so down. You were so upset. You were so hurt. You didn't know what to do. This woman finds herself. I believe that's why she was so desperate. I've run out of options. I've given myself away trying to find love, trying to find acceptance. I've tried to make my life, but it's all failed. If I can just get to the feet of Jesus and worship Worship does things that our words never could. Worship when you don't have the words to say. Worship when you feel overcome by worry or anxiety. Worship when depression starts to set in. Worship when that urge to take another hit, another pill, another drink comes at you. Worship when you don't know how to pray. Worship when it seems your world is falling apart. Worship when it feels like there's no hope in sight. Worship when it feels like your marriage is is on the brink of disaster. Worship when the doctor says it's not looking good. Because in that worship, God moves.
Where did this woman even hear about Jesus? It says that she heard Jesus. Where where'd she hear about him? I believe it was because in the circles that she ran that someone had had an encounter with Jesus. And they said, hey, you know, there's this man you need to meet. He loved me right where I was. He didn't throw up my past in my face. He didn't give me a bunch of do's and don'ts. He loved me. And if you can find yourself at his feet, he'll do the same for you. There are those here today, you don't like, you don't have a relationship with Jesus because you don't like religion, and I can tell you I don't like religion either. People say, I'm telling you, people say, are you religious? I say, absolutely not. I just love Jesus. Because, but because of what you've been presented as, you've either walked away from him walked away from a relationship or you've like no that's just not for me but I'm here to tell you Jesus loves you right where you're at he doesn't care about your past he doesn't care what you've done he doesn't even care about what you did before you walked through that door he's just saying right now is your day find yourself at my feet heads bowed eyes closed if that you to say Kelly today Man, I, I, I want a relationship. I'm tired. I'm so tired of religion. But when you talk about a relationship, I, I want, if that's possible, I want that. I want a relationship. And I want to surrender my life to Jesus today and start that relationship. If that's you, just raise your hand. I will not embarrass you at all, I promise you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Keep your hand raised because I'm going to pray with you. Anybody else? Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Oh, I see you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Praise God. Hey, pray this prayer with me. Everybody, everybody across this place. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me right where I am. Thank you for reaching out to me today. And today, I ask you to forgive me all my sins, my past, my present, the future. I give my life to you. And today, I surrender to you. I am yours. You are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate? Listen. You raise your hand. We had two or three that I, I know have raised their hand. We want to hear from you. We either fill out a connect card, go to our website, you can fill out. But we want to read because our, our job, we don't feel like our job is to just get you saved. Jesus didn't say get people saved. He said make disciples. And we want to help you in your walk. We want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And, and, and you may say, man, I don't know what this is about. Great. We want to help you. Please. And we're not quite done yet because there's some here, you've got a relationship with Jesus, but man, you are so broken, you are hurt, you don't have the words to say, you don't know what to pray, you don't know what, you, what's going to happen in that situation. 
worship. There was a great promise that God gave to his children in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 29. God's children had, had walked away from God. They had strayed. They had drifted away from God. And God makes this promise to them. He says this, but if from there, say there. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. Where's there? That brokenness that you're in right now. That hurt that you're in right now. That, that discouragement, those questions you've got. If from there you will seek him, you will find him. And I'm going to tell you, we're about to go into a time of worship. I've asked Kennedy to sing this song. And it just says, all I need to do is worship. All I need to do is find myself at your feet. That's all. Because if I could find myself there, I don't need a lot of words. So I'm going to tell you today, as we begin to sing this, find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Maybe that's sitting back there where you're at. Maybe it's finding your way up to this altar. Maybe you should treat this altar area as the feet of Jesus and say, I've just got to get there. But as we begin to sing this, don't hesitate to just say, God, I don't even have the words to say. So here I am just worshiping.